to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win it real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel. I come from a theater background. Full disclosure, I totally was a theater kid in high school and middle school. I actually was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz in seventh grade, so you can call my parents and ask for that tape. But I've realized lately how lucky it was that I have this theater background because I've become a lot more comfortable speaking up in meetings, speaking on this podcast, giving presentations at work, and I realize that that's not something that everyone comes into the workforce with a background of. So I've brought someone here today who can talk about how to find your voice at the office, in the real world, wherever you feel you need to speak up a little bit more. Leah Bonvisuto is the communication coach and co-founder of Bespoken, a company that provides coaching to help you own and find your voice. And Leah is going to talk to us today about what Bespoken is, how we can speak up in meetings, in the office, at home, wherever you'd like to speak up, and a couple of exercises we can practice on our own if we can't get a professional coach tomorrow. So welcome, Leah. Thank you, Sam. I'm thrilled to be here. And you also have a theater background. I do. I do. First as an actor and later as a director for many years. Have you ever been in The Wizard of Oz? I have not. I'm so jealous. It's a great show. Oh, so fun. I could do I could do the whole thing right now, but I won't. <laughs> but maybe in a future episode. But how did leading how did that theater background kind of lead to Bespoken, which you founded how many years ago? So we started the company two years ago. It's me and my co-founder Jackie Miller. And going back a ways, I I was the child of a mime and a jazz musician, so obviously I was obsessed with communication. But mime, maybe not speaking as much. (laughs) Exactly. Yep, absolutely. So, And I also had pretty severe social anxiety as a kid, and it wasn't until I started acting that I started to feel more free and able to connect, and there were rules I could follow, and Mm -hmm. it made that process so much easier. And I acted for a long time, and then I started directing, which I just loved. I loved the creative problem solving and the storytelling and helping people tell stories. And about 10 years into that, Jackie and I started Bespoken after I had started using acting techniques with non-actors, whether they were in hospitals to help them improve customer service or with students. And it was thrilling to help people tell their own stories and get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. And Jackie was asked to coach a TED Talk And at first we said... Coach someone who was speaking and kind of help them develop that. Because TED Talks have a very specific... Yeah. From what I've heard, like you need a very specific narrative arc and you have to have certain... You have to hit certain points and you have 18 minutes and it can be really intimidating. So it was Emily May, the executive director of Hollaback, which is an anti-street harassment organization. Mm -hmm. And she had founded the organization years before. And then when she was giving this talk, she wanted to reconnect with the spark Mm -hmm. that helped her found that organization. Organization, and that's where we came in. And it was just like theater, only with someone's real story. Mm-hmm. There was a stage. There was a time limit. There was a script. There was an audience. And we got so much joy out of helping someone tell their own story and using these acting techniques, which help people be more truthful and connect with what they want to say in a mm-hmm. truthful way. And we've been at it ever since. And it has been surprising In addition to formal public speaking, we do a lot of helping people build confidence and build their presence. And people are so open to this and they can see how translatable theater is. Mm -hmm. And it's been just wonderful. And it's interesting because you said I have a history of social anxiety and I, too, was a very nervous and still am a very nervous person, very nervous kid. But I completely agree with you that the 
having the lines that you had to say, knowing you're blocking, knowing where you had to be stage left, stage right, mm-hmm. cross the here, it it completely transforms you. And I think that's pretty translatable to if I know the slides I'm presenting, those are like the lines and the cues. And I can see how you wouldn't know that I'm incredibly nervous unless you, I don't know, took my temperature. But yeah. other than that... And a it's lot very, people, it's really interesting. It's so fascinating. And we're learning so much every day. And a lot of people assume that actors are either really good liars or that they don't get nervous. And yeah, that they're totally extroverted. Right. And that's not the case. It's the opposite, really. And that's what rehearsal is. And that's what technique is for actors, is setting up a set of rules so that they can get on stage, which is the most unnatural environment of all. Mm-hmm. And they can be truthful. Right. So who do you primarily work with in the in career coaching who do you find needs you know the most a little bit of confidence building who are your clients it's been really thrilling because we're working with people from all walks of life and all different areas and we're working with a lot of entrepreneurs which i love we Mm -hmm. get a bunch of entrepreneurs in a room and we do public speaking for entrepreneurs and it's really thrilling for everyone there because everyone's learning from each other but we have worked with people as wide-ranging as a 15-year-old who wants to say like less right? to an MBA grad who found herself giggling in interviews, like mm-hmm. she couldn't take herself that seriously. That nervous laughter. Yes. And all of these issues that people have that they don't ever think that they can find solutions for, so they never even try to work on it. And then we can get in a room and we can get to the bottom of it and see people maybe not overnight change, but make 5% of a change and feel a bit more confident. And with this sort of work, that's all it takes. Because when you have bad experiences and you have anxiety, it can become a downward spiral. And we need to create a cycle that's healthy and reinforcing and Mm -hmm. confidence building. And it has been so exciting to see who we work with because we're very surprised by everyone that reaches out. It's all over the map, really. So the primary listener here is usually people who are in their 20s, just out of college. And a lot of us, you know, we don't take public speaking courses in college anymore. So I think a lot of people are surprised they get to the office and their boss asks them to make a presentation. And you hear, I don't know how to, I can't speak in front of people. I don't know how to speak in front of people. So how do you respond to someone if I were to come into your business or your office or wherever it may be and say, I can't get this presentation. What what do you think is holding people back when they say that? Sure. I think many of us were never taught how to do this. And my background in the theater, I did learn how to do this and I've been able to translate it. But so many people are not taught how to do this. And especially in today's environment, we are supposed to be personas. We're supposed to be able to speak about ourselves and to differentiate ourselves from each other. And it's so incredibly important. So I would say the first thing to do is to Think about your process and what you want to say. And so many of us are so intimidated by the whole prospect of it that we don't even do that beginning work. And just like we were saying with rehearsal, the more you can make yourself feel confident, the more you can work on tools that make you feel like you're going to succeed, the more likely you are to succeed. Mm -hmm. So many people are so intimidated by the prospect of speaking about themselves that they avoid prepping all together. And that is the worst thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. So thinking about what you need to be successful and taking the time, even if it's just mental energy. Of course, I would recommend 
fully practicing too, which is another thing people avoid. But that is the first step of thinking about yourself in that situation, making it real for yourself, thinking about who's going to be in the room, how you want to make them feel, and then practicing tools that will help you feel more confident and able in the moment. And I can't help but notice how you have not said like or (laughs) um or you have not stuttered this whole entire time. How did you do that? How do you do that? (laughs) And this is something that really fascinates me. And we speak with we work with people who are dealing with all different kinds of what I call unconscious behaviors, whether they are verbal or physical or or neither of the both. And so it's not that I don't have tics. It's not that I don't have filler, as we call it. I totally do. I have practiced enough when I'm speaking intentionally to know that those aren't going to serve me. So one of the big things that I talk about and as we talk about as a company is that we don't want to tell anyone what to do or say. We don't want to tell people how to use their voice. And a lot of this conversation, especially with millennials that we hear about up speak where you end your your sentences in a question mark or what they call vocal fry, which is where your voice gets stuck in your throat. A lot of particularly women, even though these are not just issues for women, feel very criticized by that. And I really believe that you can do whatever you want as long as you are intentional about it, as long as you understand your voice and how to use it. And if it's serving you, then you should certainly use it. Making a choice to not use it, though, can be really empowering. And with filler in particular, one of the strategies we recommend is once you're aware of your filler, whether it is kind of or like or um, just we could go on. Everyone has different Mm -hmm. versions of it. Once you're aware of it, and sometimes the best way to do that is to record yourself, Mm -hmm. is to when you feel a change of thought coming on, which is usually when these occur, Mm -hmm. to take a deep breath instead of saying your filler. And again, that takes so much practice. But then when you're in a situation that is high pressure and you might be a little nervous, you have the practice to fall back on instead of the unconscious behavior that has been a result of prior bad experiences or your environmental upbringing or any number of reasons why we bring on these fillers. That's such great advice. And you've mentioned a couple times the idea of finding your voice. And I think at this point we're hearing it in a very abstract Little Mermaid way. And I want to kind of solidify what that exactly means. So when you talk about someone finding their voice and figuring out what that means for them, are you talking about a personality? Are you physically talking about them being able to speak loudly and clearly? Are you talking about some kind of sense of humor? What do you what do you talk about and think about when you when you discuss finding your voice? Absolutely. I believe that our voices are the vehicle through which we can change the world. Mm -hmm. And if we are able to articulate what we want and what we need, we will be much happier people both in our relationships at home, in our work life, in the impact we hope to have in the world. And so much of us, when we don't learn how to use our voice, our voice becomes defensive. We're responding. We're reacting instead of putting ourselves out there in a way that feels really intentional. Mm -hmm. So when I say finding your voice, I mean, first of all, knowing what you want to say. And that can be both literal, what you want to say in the moment, and bigger picture of what you want to say with your life. And then the next part of it is developing the muscle of communication, Mm -hmm. which 
we take for granted as something we're all supposed to know how to do, but yet we're not taught how to do it. And then when we don't feel empowered to do it, we think there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And it can be so traumatizing for people to feel unable to to say what they want to say. So developing your voice as a muscle, meaning your breath and your body and your actual voice to work together in tandem in a way that is synchronized and healthy and strong so that your voice is there when you need it, when you need to address a large room, Mm -hmm. understanding how to do that in a way that feels truthful to you. Mm -hmm. And also if you need to have a really big conversation at work or stand up for yourself, of knowing some tools that will help you feel supported when you do that and not feeling like you're walking in completely without any backup or rehearsal or tools to help you feel strong. Let's get into what some of these actual tools are. So the scenario might be that I'm prepping for a big presentation. It's my first one. I've, I'm completely nervous. I say like a lot. I use my hands far too much probably. I'm a pacer. I'm a hair twirler. Whatever affliction you'd like to imagine that I have, or not affliction, but mm-hmm. tick, you know, vocal tick or hand, physical tick I, you'd like to imagine I have. What do you recommend to help us calm ourselves down, prepare, and look as professional as possible? Absolutely. There's a few different areas we could go into with that. The mm-hmm. first big one is that we can get very self-conscious when we're thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to come off? Am I going to do this well or am I going to look like an idiot? And one of the tools that actors use over and over again is to take the focus off of themselves and put it on their partner. And it's not that there's anything wrong with us for thinking of ourselves when we're going into these situations. It's very normal and natural, actually. But we can be really helped by putting our focus on something outside of ourselves. So in a bigger sense, we say in Bespoken, it's about setting an intention. So that's the super objective, if you will, from a theater standpoint, but the bigger desire that you wish to come out of this public speaking engagement or whatever it is. So setting an intention, it might be to educate my audience on the product that I am selling, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it brings me into a place where I'm not thinking about myself because I'm there to educate them. It's not about me anymore. right? And then on a bigger point, I can't emphasize enough practicing and with an outside eye. Because bottom line is with communication, the most important thing is that you're making a connection and that you're being present. So having someone watching your rehearsal, giving you feedback, someone that you trust, someone who can say, are you aware that you're saying um every three seconds? Because most of us are not aware of it, mm-hmm. can go f- so far and is so necessary having that outside eye and practicing until you feel like you own it. Like it's yours. Like you could say it in your sleep. Yeah. And it's not about memorizing, really. Okay. I actually recommend with public speaking, unless you are not going to be interrupted at all, because it is improvisation then, Mm -hmm. of making bullet points and clarifying the essence of what you want to say and practicing and rehearsing, but not saying the same words every time. That can actually make us feel very stuck and trapped and like we're unable to make a connection. So if you can bullet that out for yourself, that can be really helpful. Improvisation is a great point because I think people get thrown when you open up the room for questions and they're asked a question that maybe they don't know the answer to right off the bat. So what is your tip for dealing with those unexpected questions, comments when a presentation veers off course? How do you advise people deal with that? Absolutely. The 
Oh, and listen to that absolutely tends to be my filler when I'm answering a question. Did yeah. you hear that? I've yes. said it now three times. So I am very guilty of it. <laughs> and it's it's very interesting how we don't hear it sometimes. And so hearing it is step one and then creating solutions is step two. So to speak about that, so many of us, when we don't know the answer to a question, we start speaking right away and we get very nervous. And we're never going to find the answer by looking up or going into our heads where we're most comfortable. So much of the work we do with Bespoken is getting people into their body and focusing on the breath because breathing in a certain way actually simulates the central nervous system and can soothe it for a lot of people. So my biggest advice, if you don't know the answer to a question, is to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Or saying, let me think about that. But doing that from a grounded, rooted, centered place is one thing versus responding with a bunch of filler and getting to an answer that you probably are not going to be satisfied with in the long term anyway. Mm -hmm. And rambling on and realizing that you've suddenly it's 10 minutes later and we're at a totally different we're yeah. at a totally different point might as well be in a different room. When I started directing theater, I had a teacher who said, you should never say I don't know. Oh, really? And I completely disagreed with it then, and I disagree with it wholeheartedly now. And we have so much strength in saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. We have so much strength in taking responsibility and apologizing when we've done wrong. And saying, I don't know, is a wonderful thing for people to practice. Mm -hmm. And silence is a wonderfully powerful thing on stage. Mm -hmm. If you can hold silence and you can control it and you can set a pace, you're proving power. And warmth because it's welcoming and inviting and it's something that people shouldn't shy away from. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about pace a little bit mm -hmm. because you have like I, I'm just noticing the way you speak is you really do practice what you preach and you have a great pace. It's slow. It's clear. How do you help people slow themselves down and not get I mean, it's going to be really great. And so the really good thing about this presentation is that it's like really exciting and I have a lot of things to say. And how do you get people to kind of slow down and not feel like they're in slow motion. Yeah. I think that's the worry is that you worry that you're talking like you're yeah. in molasses. Yeah. <laughs> and we're changing lifelong behaviors. So whenever you're doing that, people are thrown off of their game. They're right. shoved out of their comfort zone. We like to say that if it doesn't feel strange, you're probably not going far enough because when you're changing behaviors like this, it should feel different shouldn't feel bad, but it should feel different. And so it's really important to help people hear themselves in a way that still allows them to be connected and present. So when we work, we talk in two different realms, whether we're working outside in or inside out. Outside in is the idea of embodied cognition and fake it till you make it and try on a big physical change and see how it affects you. So with someone who might be speaking fast, we might have them overemphasize their vowels. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, if they're overemphasizing their vowels, they're not going to be thinking about it, but they are naturally going to slow down. And it might feel strange at first, but with practice, it can be a very effective tool, not to be used all the time, but when you need to drill home a point, speaking slowly can be very effective. The other way to go about it is called outside in, where you manifest your own connection to an idea on the inside 
and then find a way to communicate that in a worthwhile way. Oh, on so the that's outside. inside uh, inside out, right? Yes, inside out. Okay. Did I say outside yes. in? Yes. Sorry I'm just about clarifying. That. Yes. Perfect. So outside in versus inside out. And so inside out, you might ask someone to think about their the connection they're making with the person they're talking about and to think, how do I want to make that person feel? Mm-hmm. And if I'm speaking to you and I want to make you feel excited mm-hmm. and inspired, that is going to change the tone and the rate and the pace of the words as they come out of my mouth. Because again, I'm putting the focus on my partner and not in myself. Absolutely. Oh, now I said absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> let's pivot a little bit and think yeah. instead of a presentation maybe where you're leading the room, let's talk about an interview, which is something you mentioned before. And that's another place where you need to own your voice. And I would argue maybe it's even a more important place to own your voice when it's a one-on-one situation, an interview, a negotiation. What are the recommendations you make to people, especially maybe women who traditionally don't have as powerful of a place in these types of settings, especially we know in negotiations they can often they they just don't get what they deserve. So what's the advice that you give there? So in the most recent Lean In report, which just came out last week, mm-hmm. they said that women are asking for promotions as often as men, but that 30 percent of the time that they do, they're being labeled as bossy or aggressive or intimidating. And that's a real bummer. And I don't think <laughs> that's that a that, real bummer. <laughs> yeah. I'm very proud of the fact that women are speaking up more and asking for equality. But it's obviously something that is not entirely in our ability to fix at this point of the way that we're perceived. So it's important for us to really clarify what we want going in and to practice and to make those bullet points for yourself and to have an outside eye who's trusted, who you can rehearse with, who can maybe do a role play with you. Mm-hmm. And leading with that intention of, I am going into this meeting with this desired outcome and returning to that as often as you can during the meeting, because we can only put our best foot forward and we can't control the outcome. We can't control what someone is going to think of us, but we can keep returning to that positive goal that we've set for ourselves at the top and stick to it. And you mentioned something when you walked in and we were getting ready and setting up the mics and you said you lowered your chair a little bit so that your feet were grounded. Is Mm -hmm. that something? Can you explain that a little bit? Because that really intrigued me. And I'm thinking maybe that's a good Mm -hmm. tip for going into an interview or any situation where you're seated across from someone. Yeah. I don't know if you knew I heard that, but I was like, oh, I'm going to ask her about that. (laughs) So going back to embodied cognition, which is the idea that what we do on the outside can affect how we feel on the inside. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite exercises that we do with Bespoken is that we begin most of our workshops when we're working with workshops with a staring exercise where we have people seated and maintaining eye contact with another perfect stranger. And while they do that, we ask them to bring their attention to different parts of their body. So they are locking eyes and they are getting in their body. And we're doing it right now. I know. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm feeling really aware of things. Mm -hmm. I got to move my hands to the chair. And these are all physical tricks that you can use in any sort of an interview setting. So a lot of people shy away from eye contact. They say, but what if I'm with an authoritative figure? And what if that person doesn't want to maintain eye contact to me with me? And I say, eye contact is a wonderful litmus test. It's a wonderful way of seeing how confident someone is. And if I'm able to maintain eye contact... 
I'm going to look pretty pretty confident, right? Right. We're also going to feel like we have a bit of a connection, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's an automatic win-win situation. Another trick is to feel your bum on the chair right? and to really put your focus on that, that sensation of your body and the weight of your body hitting the chair or your feet on the floor. Our inclination is to always go to our head. We're always in our head. We're always thinking it's where we naturally live. And when we want to be truly present... The goal is to get more in our body, not entirely, of course. But right. So we're more. sitting there, and they ask us a question, and we're like, "Sorry, I'm, I'm in my arms right now. <laughs> exactly. I'll get back to you." <laughs> exactly. But returning to that sensation of my body hitting the chair or my feet hitting the floor brings me to my breath. It brings me to my body, and it allows me to be present. That's really. It's always really interesting to me to think about how much body language plays into your voice and. I used to have an exercise. My I took public speaking in high school, and our speech teacher asked us to sit on our hands, which I'm going to do right now. Asked <laughs> us to sit on our hands while we talked, and it's amazing how you'd be paralyzed for what to say, what to say next, because you you want to. I mean, I'm a gesturer, I a gesticulator, whatever you want to call it. And when she had to sit on our hands, it was like our minds went blank because I don't know why all. Is all is your mouth really in your hands? I don't know. Is that a, an, an anatomical secret that no one has told us before? One of the biggest questions we get most often is, can you tell me what to do with my hands when I'm public speaking? And I always say, no, I can't tell you that because there is nothing wrong with using your hands. There really isn't as long as you do so intentionally. I'm, sen- I'm sensing a theme. Yeah. So we always tell people, try it without it. Yeah. And see what happens. And so often you lose your words. And the more you practice without your hands, the more you're able to have those words be there for you when you need them. Because our hands are something that we go to as an automatic, again, unconscious behavior in high pressure situations. The second you get on stage to to speak publicly, that's where your energy is going to go unless you've practiced otherwise. So practice taking away those unconscious behaviors. Practice taking away that safety net in a safe space with a trusted outside eye. And when you do so, you're then going to get on stage and you will, it will not be your first time doing it. Right. Practice has – I was always someone who felt because I had done theater when I was 12, <laughs> I could – do a presentation without practicing, but it really was unbelievable how much even running through it once. So I want to get to a couple of the exercises we had discussed that if you're sitting at home right now, you finish this podcast and you have a presentation tomorrow, what can people do to help them prep for their public speaking engagement interview, whatever it might be? Absolutely. There we go again. <laughs> Hear that? The biggest you turn it thing into I'd a drinking say, game. <laughs> I know. That would be great. The biggest thing I'd say is with breath, because so many of us, first of all, already breathe from a shallow place, and that is a natural thing that we do. And when your nerves kick in, that's going to happen times a thousand. Mm -hmm. So if you can practice breathing from a deeper place, and some people are going to call that diaphragmatic breathing, some people are going to call it three-dimensional breathing, What I will say is that there's no use in having it be another thing that you think you're not doing right. Mm -hmm. So put your hand on your belly button and practice breathing into that space. You're going to be filling the space around your belly button with breath. And if you can simply practice speaking at the top of a breath, at the top of a full inhale, 
you will be including so much more of the room that you're speaking with than otherwise. Because when we don't take a full breath or when we exhale completely and then start speaking, we are losing all of our power. Your breath is your power. Mm-hmm. So it's the difference between, and I'll demonstrate, I'm going to fully exhale. I'm going to start speaking from this place, which you can hear already. My voice just went much more in my throat, right? Mm-hmm. It's much less resonant. Right. Versus I'm going to take a full breath. And I'm going to speak on the top of my voice. And how does that sound different? It's totally different. And the way that I visually see it is that I'm now including you in what I'm saying. Right. I'm including you in the space that I'm speaking in. And I'm actually going beyond you, Sam. I'm speaking to someone. Where are we in Brooklyn? I'm speaking to someone in Manhattan. And I'm just having that visual idea in my head is going to... One, help me communicate to more of a a space, but it's also going to help my audience feel more connected to what I'm saying. And so much of vocal fry, that expression that we hear, is just from not taking enough of a breath Mm -hmm. and not being supported enough in your voice. I love that exercise. That's so simple. And you can listen to that little clip again and again and hear the difference. That's, (laughs) That's pretty incredible. Okay, next exercise. The other thing would be to practice speaking with conviction. And it's something that a lot of us are not used to doing. So we automatically end our quest- our sentences in a question mark. And even though we're not asking a question, we're leaving room for someone else to maybe say what they want to say, because it might be very presumptuous for me to assume that you don't have something to say right now. Right. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> so if, if that's our natural inclination, which we call up speak or up talk, which again, nothing wrong with it if it's intentional. If that's your natural inclination in a safe space with a trusted outside eye or your handy voice memo recorder on your phone, practice speaking with confidence. Practice landing the thought. And And kind of exaggerating it. Yes. Or exaggerating it. Yeah. And it is, I'm going down at the end of my sentences instead of up, but I am not losing energy when I do so. And I'm overdoing it right now so that you can hear it. But it's the difference between ending in a question mark or really landing the thought. Right. And it sounds automatically more authoritative, more confident, more in control. And it's just a physical trick. I am very guilty, and I've noticed this before, of when people say, where do you work? I say, oh, I work at Real Simple. And they're like, I don't know, man. Do you? <laughs> like, yeah. that's on you. Where do your paychecks say you work? <laughs> and so I think that that's a, great, that's a great trick. And it's something that we're not even aware of most of the time. Right. And like you said, it's not bad, and we're not here to say that you're speaking incorrectly. But if you are someone who wants to prepare and feel more confident going in, these are awesome, simple tricks. Do we have... Another exercise we can try? Yes. That was an intentional question. (laughs) So the other one that I would say is to record yourself and identify your unconscious behaviors. It can either be filler. It can be apologizing, which a lot of us do. And Mm -hmm. we can apologize with words. We can apologize with the tone of our voice. We can apologize with our physicality mm-hmm. and to start to unapologize yourself. And that might mean that's a term we like to say. And that might mean that you go through something that you've written, whether it's an email or a speech, and you take out any qualifiers when we say just or kind of or I feel like I feel or I think. Yeah. Um is a filler, right? 
like all of these things. Again, are not bad when used unintentionally, but when we're not sure why we're using it or we're not sure that we're using it at all, it can undermine our authority.、Mm-hmm. There's a great Gmail plugin called Just Not Sorry,、mm-hmm. and it underlines words that are undermining your authority. That's so interesting. Yeah, and I didn't even realize how much I was undermining my own authority、mm-hmm. until I downloaded this. And now, whenever I say "just," I just take it out. And honestly, for the first few months, it felt really vulnerable. Right. It felt really, is this okay? Am I being too authoritative? And I think that's something that we can all practice and we can all improve on because we should own our words, especially if you are the one giving the presentation or you're selling yourself in an interview or a meeting. You shouldn't say, "I feel like I'm really good at my job." I'm really good at my job. Absolutely, and we all also we have a tendency to mimic each other. So if we can each become more confident in this way, we will help each other be more confident too. That is that's great advice. And Leah, where can people learn more about you and Bespoken and all of your awesome professional? Finding your voice advice. Sure, you can go to our website, bespokenpartners dot com, b e s p o k e n partners dot com. We have a blog there. You can sign up for our newsletter. We send out a blog post once a month with tips and tricks. We have classes in New York. We have a class coming up tomorrow at the Made in New York Media Center. Or check our website for upcoming classes. You can also work with us one on one, and we also come into organizations to help teams be better spokespeople for companies of all sizes. And do you work just with companies in New York, or if Chicago, anywhere? We travel all around the country, and we also work with individuals over Skype. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Leah, for joining me today. I already feel more confident, which is great because. Listening back to myself on these podcasts can sometimes be a little cringeworthy, but it really is a good exercise to listen to yourself speak and slow down. And I'm trying my hardest to cut out my likes and I feel likes. <laughs> I'll get back to you in a couple of months and、I、let you know how I'm doing. I think you're a wonderful speaker, Sam. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank、I、you really, for having me. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet them to me at samzabel, and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our producer Kristen Meinzer and our editor Tim Einenkell. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>